And this is Quite Like, a podcast. Good evening, good morning, good afternoon, podcasters, and welcome to episode 18 of Quite Like, a podcast with me, Rory Forbes. And me, Tim Denton. Uh, we are Zooming again this evening, both in terms of the energy we're bringing to this episode, but also in terms of the way we're recording it. So we are in our recept- respective studio locations, me in the very windy Totland Bay. And me and Tim- on the top of a hill somewhere in Ripley, um, but stormy weather indeed. Yeah, I feel a song coming on, stormy weather. <laughs> this is going downhill very early. <laughs> In the sky. I'll stop now. I'll stop now. Yeah. So um, the weather, of course, dictates what we have been up to and what we were likely to be up to. So we're recording on a Wednesday evening. This is the 18th, is it? Of, uh, yeah, 18th of October. Just to orient you who are listening to this in your time shifted formats whilst you are gardening, whilst you are um, sunbathing at the weekend. Probably not. Um, but we, we, Wednesday evening, it's blowing a hooli. It's Storm Babette, I think, named in a French way by the, the British Met Office, um, is is kind of heading in our direction. Um, and I, again, controlling everything we're, we're planning to do over the weekend and what we were doing last weekend. So we rushed to crack on with some fairly substantial gardening work. Um, we are fighting a war uh, with brambles. Blackberries, um, depending where you come from, with bindweed, also known as convolvulus, and we're almost getting as many garden waste bags of roots, bramble and convolvulus bindweed, as we are kind of foliage and sticks and kind of above ground waste. So it's uh, we were hoping that we'd spend a bit of time perhaps prior to this weekend, um, late afternoons. You know, catching up with the gardening work because we've got a lot to get through. But I think the weather is going to defeat us. Do you have the bindweed in just one place, or is it widely spread? It's probably localized to about a quarter of the garden, so it's relatively localized. But it's a big garden; it's a big quarter yeah. of the garden. So we think it's going to be a multi-year um, process to provide. Uh, you know, success there. I mean, it's just incredible. You dig a hole in the ground and you you rough up the soil and you put your hand in, gloved hand, and you pull up like a spaghetti mixture of roots. And and literally you can, handfuls of it can come out of the ground one after the other. So um, it's probably been neglected by us for the last three years since we moved in that corner of the garden. And it's probably been neglected for the last 10 plus years by previous occupants. So we're 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 fighting a battle, but we will win. We had a similar battle in our previous house in Aldershot with horsetail, if you're familiar with the dreaded yes, yes. horsetail, which you know survives nuclear holocausts and you know all sorts of things. But um it didn't survive us. We managed to I was coming out every morning um looking to see if a horsetail had protruded above the soil and one was then grabbing it, putting it in a bag and getting rid of it. You do um, sound a bit like Penny Mordant at the Tory party conference saying, we will battle, we will win. She, no, no, stand up and fight. It wasn't quite clear who she was fighting or battling or winning against, but she was standing up and fighting, that was for sure. I think she drew the card in the conference speech, kind of drawing straws um, to to do the kind of the the crazy... Rattle sabers, they kind of we're 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 going to fight everyone, 
bring it on, come on, come and have a go if you think you're hard enough kind of speech, which every political party has someone who wears those rumbustious uh, kind of spurs, shall we say. She didn't She's do got a bit of a, a Game of Thrones sort of thing going on, really, hasn't she? Sort of carrying the mace with muscles of steel. That's right. And, and she's the woman who built the empire, I'll tell you. And then also that rather stunning black and blue dress that she wore when she was carrying the mace. Oh, I thought it was a Poundland-sponsored dress. Didn't, wasn't it um, very, very similar to the hue of green? Maybe it was a blue. I didn't, I didn't see it like that, Rory, at all. With a, with a kind of, uh, it was quite uh, striking blue, I think. No, I think it, we, it need, to, we need to get a photograph of that on Instagram and let our listeners be the judge. You must be colourblind, I, I think. But, uh, well, when, let, it comes to, when it comes to the Ice Woman of Portsmouth, <laughs> I think maybe, not, Rory. Well, indeed, a, a near neighbour, a near neighbour. We'll talk later about uh, uh, local South Coast MPs. Isn't yeah. Suella uh, contiguous almost? Theorem. Yes. 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 Very, very close. Yeah. If I'm what, not is sure it, what is it about Portsmouth? What is it about South Coast MPs? We seek them here. We seek them there. Speaking of MPs, indeed, we, we were we were hoping to bring an interview today, but but sadly not. We were let down. Well, e- events, dear boy, events. I think you know we weren't let down intentionally. We were let down by the busy, busy schedule of a. Uh, you know, a busy, you know, government MP. And he does a lot for the island. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, there's been a lot of really good news and good announcements about rides 20 million and educational, you know, kind of uh, injections of cash and effort. And we were hoping to give him a chance to tell us about yeah, those. absolutely, did, yeah. Did you see his letter in last week's County Press? I, I don't recall it. It's Maybe not easy can... being the MP for the Isle of Wight. Oh, Violent. So he actually wrote a letter to the paper, I mean, as well as having his own column, and I think six photos in the paper, he wrote a letter telling us of the great things he'd achieved, and it would have been good to explore some of those, but another time, hopefully. But well, we look forward to it. I mean, we had a really good conversation with Harriet, who was the um, prospective candidate, who didn't make didn't become the prospective candidate by by the party election machine. But uh, um, we look forward to talking to the current sitting MP. And, of course, it's so difficult being the MP. We now need two for the island rather than one. So he may well have a point in terms of covering the ground and the issues. Of uh, course. What we do have is, again, a line into somebody who is fairly good terms with Bob Quigley, is it, the Labour candidate? Richard. Richard, Richard, not Bob. There's, There's only one Bob. There, well, indeed, there is. Um, so, yeah, and, um, somebody I think thinks we can probably get a session with Richard, who I think you he, he actually did do a podcast himself. He, he, there is another uh, island podcast, which is currently dormant um, at the moment, but it ran successfully about two years ago and did about eight or nine episodes and again spoke to you interesting characters great and the good but the the format of that podcast was much like harriet's island stories it was dedicated to one interview so we've got a much more magazine-y kind of two blokes in a pub kind of conversation we're more of a mixed bag exactly yeah we're a a cornucopia of chat that's very very apt because coming up to halloween and thanksgiving and all those things isn't the cornucopia the kind of american symbol of thanksgiving there is a corn, yes, yes. The horn, doing... that's what they call it. I didn't know this, but, you know, yeah. we worked yeah. in America, I learned. Doing doing some research, the, the corn, some things make an appearance 
at Halloween as well as pumpkins. So we'll talk about that a bit later because I think there's a lot of interesting okay. things as, as we head inexorably towards one of the major celebrations of the year being being Halloween. So we're going to bring you interviews with Bob as soon as we can, but there'll be other interviews to follow. Um, so this week we don't have uh, a guest interview slot. So Scoop Deadman has hung up his spurs this week and got them polished, but is going to be back out in the wild next week, you know, recording interviews with really exciting island island personalities and people um, uh, for your enjoyment. Um, so we, we've been doing the gardening. Um, we have made time, it has to be said, to sneak out on occasions um, for coffee and other sustenance. And again, Harvey Browns was a uh, a bit of a magnet effect, I think, for both our families, Tim. You know, we, we like going to Harvey Brown. It's a good thing, place to mooch around in the farm shop afterwards. It's a convenient location if you've visited family. We've got family on the east of the east of the island as well. Um, and, and they do a really good cup of coffee. And they do a really nice cake selection. So we had a, a, I had a flat white, Jane had a cappuccino. Um but we um, had different cakes. So I got accused, little side story on coffee here, of flirting with the serving staff. That was quite a, quite a kind of harsh accusation. Well, I was merely engaging in um, witty conversation uh, with the lady who brought our coffees and cakes up to us. And the, the game I like to play with serving staff is if there's a, a range of drinks on the tray, I like to say to them, would you like to guess which of the guests has chosen which beverage or which cake item. Of course, she looked at me like I had horns and tentacles and things on. And uh, I apologised immediately and explained that it was just one of my funny things. But I think I was getting kicked under the table. And once the lady had gone, I was accused of flirting outrageously with her. Of course, I deny it. Nick, do you think we're getting too old for this kind of banter? Or do you think you never, you ne- it never grows old? Well, I... Uh, I suppose there's a risk that, you know, w- w- when you're a young man and you are dashing and debonair and you might occasionally have turned the odd head, you can probably get away with witty repartee with people you don't know. Um, but I, I refuse, as a grey-haired, bearded, middle-aged plus man, to give in and only offer a grunt of thanks. I, I want to talk to human beings. I mean, why are we doing a podcast? We want to talk to people. We want to to share our wit and wisdom and so on. So I, like I, agree, I, I do agree. I, I got into terrible trouble once many years ago for um, replying to that, how's the meal, sir, saying fine, which apparently is a word that I overuse. And it can have a kind of multitude of meetings. So um, I have to loaded, avoid that at it? all costs yeah. now. I think I had to apologise on that particular night. In Leamington, I think it was the Italian restaurant, but for saying fine, which could have meant, well, clearly it's not fine or it's absolutely fine. So you it, know. it depends if it was a literal fine or was it a, a British fine refusing to engage in any kind of confrontation, um, but not wanting to be untruthful. <laughs> I can't imagine that being me on any of those counts, not wanting to engage in conversation and being particularly English and reticent or not, not wanting conflict. <laughs> what I can definitely say is that the service was impeccable. Uh, Harvey Browns, kudos to the, all the serving team there. And the coffee was superb, really 
tasty, just exactly what you wanted, and a cup of coffee, and the cakes were delicious. And, and I, be- I believe we're breakfasting there on Saturday with the um, head of the island's ambulance service, so, so I will report back. Get you. Probably have to eat healthy, though. Indeed. Indeed. It's going to be such a quandary. You can't have the double fried bread and black pudding, please. It'll be avocado and vegan yogurt for me, probably, and sesame seeds. <laughs> she, hopefully she doesn't bring a company car with her. Well, that actually, that could be just as well, actually, with the Harvey okay. Brown breakfast, but that's another matter. Uh, uh, what, what else have you been up to? You told us about your battle with bindweed. Have you been away? And brambles. No, we've not been away at all. We've been island bound ourselves um and and focusing very much on our weekends you know work in the week but at the weekends we've been focusing on the um on the, the garden mission ahead of us we have nipped out and about on the island so we've done harvey brown's i said we've been to dimbola lodge for a coffee break over in freshwater bay absolutely fantastic quirky old-fashioned it has an air of two soups about it as a an establishment but again, the staff there are fantastic, really friendly, quite jokey. Um, and all the crockery is quirky. You have different mismatched floral um, tea sets if you have a cup of tea and served in lovely big china teapots. And uh, But really tasty and, and a really good price. Very affordable um, to go out there and have a you know a light lunch or a, a breakfast even. Mm. A so Dimbola Lodge, did you Dimbola say? Dimbola Lodge, which is associated with the Julia Cameron Photography Museum, which has a great view down across the bay. Um, but you don't have to go anywhere near the museum. You can go straight into the coffee from there. Now, car. we haven't it's been cafe. there, so that is clearly one that needs to be on our, yeah. our list. Yeah. We should probably do breakfast. I mean, if, if you deign to do breakfast with mere mortals, such as Jane and I, having had this coming weekend with the great and the good, we would... Uh, we would love to share that with you. We only breakfast with people who bring their own defibrillator, um, but I'm sure we, we can do. Uh, yeah, so you know Ella's working pattern, so sure. uh, not next week, but the week after. Week yes, after, yeah, please. Perfect. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Sounds good. Sounds good. You, yourself, have you been out and about on the island enjoying? Um, so first one, perhaps off the island, we had a meander down to Ella's sister uh, in Devon, in Exmouth, and we had glorious weather. I mean, it really was the complete opposite of what it is now. It was sunny. The the beach was as full as it ever is in the summer, and we had a wonderful time. We went to Brixham. There was uh, jet ski racing in the harbour and outside the harbour. We had fish and chips on the quayside, and it, it was just lovely. Nice to catch up with them and their family, and then... Oh, quite a quite a nice drive. We went sort of cross country, following the coast and um, sort of Seaton and places like that. And it was really, really very, very nice this, weekend this indeed. Seaton Sands. Yes, Seaton also has a tramway. So if you're into vintage transport, you can go and ride inland on the tram, a bit like you can at Crouch in Derbyshire, and it's um, very enjoyable. How did it? Yeah, with, with lovely weekend, good to catch up with them. How did it compare to the Belgian tram, coastal trams way? So the trams in Seaton are probably all over 100 years old, whereas right. the Belgian one, if anything, is a bit space age. Okay. Uh, but, you know, as public transport goes, trams and light rail is the way to go. It's the future. And, it is. And, and maybe we'll be talking about future investment in the islands kind of infrastructure. We spoke about this in an early podcast episode about plans that have been drawn up for trams and new rail lines right across the island but the one thing lacking in the planning is of course funding so 
uh, yes. funding or entrepreneurial deep pockets. Uh, now, yeah. but on the subject of transport, before we, we drift away, I mm. don't know where your travels took you last weekend, the one just passed, but it was Island Bus Festival weekend, which I think happens once or twice. And basically the ride... Um, bus museum gets as many of its fleet out and runs a, a regular service around certainly the east white i think in the main um and you can get on and ride for free yep. but you have to pay 10 pounds to buy the timetable which is an interesting piece of marketing so as long as you're prepared to play russian roulette with when the bus will turn up you can actually do it for nil Probably cost. An insurance dodge in that or some kind of i wouldn't be at all surprised yeah, um yeah. The Donkey Sanctuary on the way to um, Ventnor is, or Roxel probably more accurately, is one of their park and rides. So you, they, they came through Rookley and we saw several of the old buses and coaches driving through and it looked tremendous. And they, they had several routes into Newport to Sandown to Shanklin running over the weekend. This so next year, next year, I think we'll try and... Um, Hook into that a little bit. Wasn't there was also an Isle of Wight steam railway um, purveyor of fine events. They had a beer festival as well. I think they yes. do two a year, don't they? So we have a summer one and uh, clearly an autumn yes. one or an early spring, uh, late spring, early summer one, which we attended this year and this last weekend. And I believe there was a tie-up between the bus festival and the uh, the, the beer festival. So you would go to the railway, but you could also then go to Goddard's. And on from Goddard's in a bus down to Sandown to Boojum and Snarks, I think is the name. Yes, of it is. That's craft, the one. Craft brewery. So there was multiple opportunities to get on a bus, have a pint at the um, railway, have another pint at Goddard's, have another pint uh, in Sandown at Boojum and Snarks. And I was in the garden fighting brambles. It does sound like the opportunity for sort of the bus-based beer beer crawl, doesn't it? Yeah, alliteration's good as well. When I when I worked in in central London way back in the day, they used to do a thing called the Heathrow Pub Crawl, and you could get in those days. This this would be probably about thirty years ago at least. You could get into far more of the bars in the airport without having to go airside, or the distinction was slightly less draconian than it is now. So the idea was, I mean, we worked in St Paul's that you'd make your way down to the Piccadilly line, go out to Heathrow, noting that it's at least a 45-minute journey from central London, have, I can't remember if it was a half or a pint, in as many bars in the airport as possible. And, of course, Terminal 4 and Terminal 5 have probably been built since then. Yep. And then, then comes the tricky part, which would be riding the tube back to central London without any toilet facilities. Ooh. And, of course, people would pop out at East Acton to relieve themselves in a flower pot only to see the doors closing and their <laughs> friends making obscene gestures to them as the tube pulled out on its way into central London. So happy, happy memories. Happy memories, yes. Indeed, that reminds me of one very tortuous trip from central London out to Aldershot on the coach. So I got on the coach of Victoria Station heading home to Aldershot and about five, ten minutes into the journey, I suddenly realised I was fairly desperate but no toilet facilities on the, the buses then. And I uh, had to wait until I got to Aldershot bus station uh, in order to to relieve myself because there was no stops at all. I think we were the first stop was Aldershot. So. I, I don't think I, I haven't got a urination story, but I, I have got a sick story. Um, when I was 11, I had my first tooth out by old fashioned gas. Oh, yeah, happy gas. Uh, in Guildford. And um, 
mum and I then rode home on the number 20 bus, which was Guildford to Aldershot. And we lived about three, four miles out of, out of Guildford. This bit, this was the 60s, early 70s. And it was one of those October, November days, humid, warm, very wet. I felt really nauseous. And I held on all the way until the home straight before Fairlands, where we lived, to get off. And I said, mum, I'm going to be sick. I, I, I can't. Being a resourceful Yorkshire woman, she, she had one of these plastic rain hats that they had in the 60s and the 70s. <laughs> so in front of probably, it felt like everybody on the bus that she knew, I vomited copiously into the rain hat and she then had to pull it together and cl- walk the walk of shame down the lower deck of the bus with it obviously slopping over the sides Ooh. and with me hanging my head saying, oh, I'm not feeling very well and then hopping off and disposing it into, into the brambles. Into maybe, the they were black, maybe they were blackberries, but there's always were at our bus stop. Yes, yes. Oh, goodness me. Goodness me. Yeah. I'll, I'll come back to one alcohol-related. Obviously, your sick story wasn't alcohol-related, nor is this a sick story, but it's a, it's a funny story about transport and alcohol, which was I used to commute into central London as well, and there was a game which that the hardy commuters who had to go right out almost down to the south coast, certainly past Winchester, way past Basingstoke. Um, they played a game called the W game. And there were some of the trains, the, the more intercity-oriented commuter trains, had a bar. And you would get stacked up with lots of little miniatures, um, or indeed bottles, if you brought them with you. And every time you went through a station out of Waterloo, which is the first W, you had to drink a double so there was Waterloo, Weybridge, West Byfleet, Walton on Thames, Winchester, Woking, Woking. Thank you. Yes, yeah, the one, a big one I missed. Uh, and so, well, Werpleson wasn't directly on that line. Ah, uh, you see, I went to Guildford, so it would have Guildford, been for yeah, me, but yeah. not for you. But when you went down to Winchester, and I think there was a couple of other West somethings further south. So by the time people got to their destination and probably being picked up by weary spouses, they were probably not not that comfortable. (laughs) There used to be a group on the train that I got on a Friday that they used to have, I think they, I don't know what they called it, but they used to drink special brew or the blue Scottish variant of it. And they had to drink a four pack per person by the time they got to Guildford which on the fast trains was only 35 minutes, and that could get distinctly messy. Yeah, indeed, indeed, indeed. We should probably tidy things up then, because we have a very discerning audience here of you know sophisticated tastes and palates. And as we've descended into abuse of alcohol um, on public yes. transport, we should probably try and bring it back to something else. What else have you been up to other than your travels? Um, so I think, I think what else have I noticed... Did you see the, um, the the wall that fell off of the cliff in Yarvaland or Yavaland? We did. We did. Which we, um, so we first of all saw a very dusty video on social media, which like a, a red dust cloud. We thought perhaps a Martian rover had sent back a, a, an image of some kind of exciting geological happening on the surface of Mars. And then we realised it was Sandown stroke Yavaland. Uh, cliffs um but there was several videos that were put up and the first one was just an innocent little shower of red dust but then it became apparent that a dog nearly and the dog walker nearly got caught underneath it which uh, i say with a smile on my face but actually cliff safety is something that everybody should take a lot of care of 
you know, particularly in these uh, wet, windy times with a lot of unstable movements around the island's coast. Cliff, cliffhanger. Um, uh, indeed. So, so we walk the dog at least once a week on, on the beach, but hmm. we do t- we do tend to try and walk as close to the sea as possible. Um, and the previous week we, we'd, we'd said, well, I said, I'm sure that wall didn't hang out as far as it appears to now. So I think what happened, they'd had a landslip a few weeks ago, and we think that the bit surrounding it had slid down yeah. as it does fairly regularly. And this wall was jutting six, eight, ten foot into into basically into into the abyss. There was nothing nothing supporting it, and I guess eventually the um, hundred year old concrete or cement or whatever just gave way. And physics um, and gravity took over. Yeah. Yes, indeed. Yeah, I, I saw a great picture. Again, we'll try and find it for the Instagram of this. I mean, it's a dense wall. It it looks like it's about ten bricks deep by about 20 bricks high um so not, not just a wall but a kind of a a solid mass of, of bricks so very difficult to understand what it might have been i think some of the comment was suggesting it was an old military fortification maybe a, a pillbox that had been on top of the cliff something like that i, I don't know we, we've never walked up that part you can walk along the cliff but i ne- never have done so mm. I, I the first time i really noticed it was when it was jutting out and there was nothing supporting it. So, and well, it's no longer there. It's, no longer it's, there. it's, it's now on, it's the, on, it's on, on the beach. On the beachfront. One of the the lovely walks between Totland Bay and Colwell Bay, that depending on the direction we take, we either call it the Bay to Bay or the Reverse Bay. Remember a previous episode, we talked about naming our local. We walks. did, yes. Um, there's a similar situation in there was an old landslip probably about 2015 maybe 2013 between totland bay and colwell bay so the path had to be kind of rebuilt over the the mass of the land that had slid off the cliff but there is a precarious brick structure still sitting jutting proudly out of the cliff face and it, it doesn't look like it's moved it doesn't look like there's been any activity on it but again with a windy uh, weekend ahead of us, um, lashed with rain. I can just see a similar situation has occurred in Yaverland. So, uh, we'll I, I don't walk know if down you there pick, over the weekend and report. I don't know if you picked up on the local news today or yesterday, but Isle of Wight Council had vetoed the plan to build a wall on your favourite bit of road. Yeah, the military road. Yes, yes. yes. I, so I, I, I think they they planned it to, to to extend the life of a somewhat precarious bit of um. Yeah. The military road, um, which has now been vetoed. Dear listeners, what Tim is referring to, my favourite piece of road, is one of the UK's most popular roads and most scenic roads is known as the military road. And for the bulk of the military road's existence, it's a a long, straight uh, road with some very strategic bends, which give you a nice swooping kind of, you feel like you're a racing driver kind of experience. Taken safely, of course. But at the western end of the military road, it goes very, very close to uh, low cliffs at Compton and Brook and very, very high cliffs as you crown the road just before you drive down into freshwater. The views are stunning. And it's taken me two and a half years to pluck up courage to now regularly use what I call Death Cliff Road, but it's the western end of the military road, and it's an actually gorgeous drive. But what Tim's referring to is at one point on the low cliff by Compton Bay, 
the road's less than five meters from the edge of the cliff. This is a road that's used regularly by probably thousands, if certainly hundreds, if not thousands of cars every day. Um, and the engineers, consulting engineers, have constructed a plan, Island Roads have constructed a plan to build a wall to retain the, the road regardless of whatever the cliff does, which is highly likely in the next seven years, I think, they quoted to That's fall the prediction, away. yes. And the councillors have said, no, we don't accept that because you've not given any um, consideration to... What was their, what was their re resistance on? The coastal footpath. Because building the wall was about building the wall to save the road, but there'd been no cognizance given to what they would do with the coastal footpath. So clearly... They're going to have to go back to the drawing board and work out how they construct a path to stop the road falling. Just imagine if nothing happens because the council refuse it. The road falls into the sea. You know, a good percentage of the transit to the West White, which is basically an island off an island, because there is a causeway that splits the whole of the West White off from uh, the rest of the main Isle of White. Look on a map to, to see what I mean. Um, that would give us just two routes off the West White Island. So I do hope that common sense prevails and they allow the engineers to get on with it. You'd hope so. It, it, it is one of the few drives that can genuinely lift your heart. I think if yeah. you're feel, feeling down, sometimes driving along there cheers me up on a nice day or even a nasty day. You, you get a, a view. If you go from the trail end or Black Gang, you, you've got a, a wonderful view across the whole of Compton Bay and out. You can actually see the needles from Chael, we discovered. Stunning, yeah. You can just see the, the the end one and it would be a tragedy. I, I do take issue with you, though, about where it gets closest to the cliff edge because I think the climb into freshwater just before the golf course, there's a bit to where a footpath comes up and joins, where to me there looks to be about a metre, if that between the road edge yeah, you're right. and, and the 200-foot plummet. You're, you're right. And, and that it, is a 200-foot plummet, which is a metre or two away, whereas the five metres away is uh, is distinctly further. But I think the argument there, to, in my defence, is that that's a much softer, sandy cliff. So the underlying geology is more likely to erode, at least on the, the cliff you're referring to, which is the one that's caused, caused me to avoid that road for the last two and a half years. Um, is a hardy chalk, so it's unlikely to move an inch. Uh, yeah, you're right. You're right. And one of the things that was interesting going on the steamship Waverley last year was how you get a kind of geographic insight to the island, because you have some chalk at either end, but then you have a lot of very shifting sands type geology alluvial plains is that there is that well yeah. ab absolutely right but as you say you've got two quite hard bits at either end and a mm. soft middle yes yes that's yeah is, is there a comparison there to podcast hosts <laughs> no uh, in, in many ways i think sounds to me like a time to take a little time i think it's out. a perfect time to move on and change the subject yes we'll be right back Well, that was a relaxing break for us. I hope you managed to pause us and do something uh, more interesting instead whilst you waited for us to come back. But uh, we've got a, a few things we want to continue talking about. Uh, I think pressing in all our minds at the moment is um, the onset, if that's the right word, of Halloween. Um, 
onset sounds makes me sound like I'm talking about it negatively, Tim. I'm not really sure I wanted to use that word um, because I think it's one of those times of the year when everybody really kind of celebrates uh, a kind of a shared experience. You know, like Christmas, like Easter. Again, careful about the wording, celebrating with Easter before I go too far there. But Halloween has grown and grown and grown in, in popularity and the island for the next couple of weeks is going to be literally groaning with events. You know, I think aimed at kids, families, largely. But some of the events, one of the events in particular is aimed at, you know, the the high disposable income young professionals who look for an evening of experiences and alcohol uh, at Black Gang China with a, a fiesta of the dead at Black Gang China on the Friday the 20th and Saturday the 21st of October. So that's this coming weekend, um, which is the start of the island's half term. Um, but again, it's, it's bringing all this kind of Halloween as this scare culture. I'm going to scare you. I'm going to frighten you. I'm going to you know, um, do spooky things. Uh, for you, I'm going to trick or treat you as well. There's a lot of things happening, and and of course, Halloween has its roots in fairly simple religious kind of ideas, doesn't it? Well, is it religious or pagan? Well, isn't pagan just another religion? Okay, I'll, I'll give you that. Yeah, yeah. Or, or is it just a marketing? Is that another kind of religion? Well, I think the more recent, I mean, if you just look at a supermarket, as you walk into a supermarket, certainly for the last three, four weeks, the seasonal shelf that is kind of grabbing your attention as you're just orienting your trolley in the right the right fashion, hoping you've got one that doesn't have a wonky wheel, um, you're just bombarded with orange and black, witches' hats, pumpkin faces, um, costumes for the kids, you know, packets of slimy worms, eyeballs, all the gross things that the kids just love because it's all about grossness and scaring. Is that what Halloween is about? I think it's what Halloween has become for I'm, many You people. see, I think I find myself in bar humbug mode <laughs> by, by those humbugs. I, I So I, I, in our youths, so describe, what was your Halloween experience growing up? And I, I know the okay. Scots interpret it slightly differently but and it was it did have a place i'm not really, sure growing up in guildford it, it was something that anyone dwelt on in any way shape didn't or register form. at all so in, no. in scotland and and ireland i mean going back to sort of the 16th century there's been this tradition thing which continues to this day of uh, a pastime called guising where you know youngsters would be encouraged to dress up in kind of fancy dress maybe something scary dress up like an old tramp uh, not 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 a hollywood scary thing but uh, we we in scotland we'd have lads come to the house that were dressed up like tramps or pilots you know some form of kind of interesting fancy dress but the, the idea of guising was they'd have to come into your house and they'd give you a performance they'd sing you a song they'd recite poetry they'd play an instrument or something and did you say pilots or pirates uh, I said pilot. I'm just imagining this group of big kids dressed up as BA flight attendants coming in and scaring you, or, or Air Scotia, perhaps. <laughs> Air Scotia. We're living the high life. <laughs> Shona Spurtle. <laughs> Alan Cummings, absolute. And Forbes Mason. Yes. Forbes Mason. Yeah, there's another song in my head, but I'm not going to go with singing uh, in this part of the episode. Um, 
But no, I, I, so the guising idea was you come and you do your performance and then you get a reward, which would be sweets or a cake or something, or you might, if you're a bit older, you might get a drink maybe, but that was guising. So it's very, but trick or treat, of course, I think is a very American import because the trick is if you don't give me a treat, I'm going to trick you. But the trick was some minor vandalism threat. I'm going to egg your front door or I'm going to empty your bins onto your front lawn or something terrible, which I believe is kind of the excesses that would take place in America. And of course, I think that's probably dissipated a little now. It probably came out in the 80s, 90s, following the American subcultures there, or I hesitate to even call them a subculture, the American kind of everyday culture. But now I think it's much more aimed at the toddler community. Now there's a subculture for you. The nation's preschoolers who are wheeled out dressed in skeletons or vampires or whatever and uh, paraded by parents up and down streets knocking on doors um, expecting to fill bags up with sweeties and chocolates and, and so on. And I think for many that's what Halloween has become. So entry-level consumerism. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. And, and the, there's, no, sugar. there's no threat of the toddler subculture, you know, emptying your bins or throwing eggs at your front door. Um, we have taken in recent years, now that we are, what, what's the term for um, not having children at home? Is it dinkies? Yeah, the double income, no kids, something like that. Yes. Um, so because we are childless most of the time on the 31st of October, we've taken to having all the lights at the front of the house off and and making it look like we're not in. There is an irony here, because you, you are clearly a believer and you turn all the lights off and hide under the settee. <laughs> we're probably non-believers, but certainly in, in rugby in our previous house, we were avid pumpkin carvers yeah. and always I would always buy three or four bags of um, sweets yeah, yeah. to go by the front door. But for that when, when the, you had... The That's little garlics came with, well, yeah, but they were 25 and 20. No. Um, <laughs> so the, so all, I think that they did go out. They would go out with their friends with parental guidance and they would get their sweets. But but there's an escalation. You know, it, back in those days, we lived on a cul-de-sac and you might get the local children who you'd recognise plus one or two other groups maybe. Now, you know, it'd be, for two hours, it'd be a production line with the elder kids coming in a sort of a more threatening style a bit, little bit later on and woe betide you if you'd given out all the um, fruity eyeballs. You see, Parker's getting spooked by it already. Hear him. Parker! Parker! <laughs> I well, if we always love an opportunity to play that sound effect. Yeah, if, if you didn't pick it up on the recording, we'll definitely add it in, in post-production. He's had a very frustrating day today because um, it, the weather has been pretty appalling, and so he's had two pretty short walks, and um, he's therefore got more energy at up on stage at night than he would normally have. In fact, that may well be an, an early geyser come to the front door and Parker's greeting them in the normal way. It's scaring them up. Have you got a costume for Parker? No, we, we, we talked about this. Ella, Ella looked at me and she said, it's getting very trendy now to buy your dog coats. And I, I gave her the look. And we, we've got a thing that we call the burrito, which is like a blank, an absorbent blanket that he gets wrapped up in when he comes out of the sea yeah, yeah. in the cold of months. But yes. We've not succumbed to buying him a tartan um, horse hold your, blanket. Hold your ground. 
Hold your ground. Yeah. I think I think it's only one step away from giving them funny hats and you know joke moustaches. So we 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 do recognise that Halloween has a place. We recognise, despite the bar humbug approach, we recognise that Halloween has Halloween has something for someone. Um, whether you want to go out and get drunk with your mates dressed up, um, or whether indeed you want to take your your darling children or darling grandchildren, uh, perhaps in our case, out and collect sweets from um, uh, strangers. Um, there's lots of other things you can do as well. So, I mean, as I said earlier, the island is groaning with Halloween events. So we've mentioned already Fiesta of the Dead, which is after the, is it the Mexican? Yes, I believe um, so. Festival of Dea de la Mortes, Muertes. Yes, features famously in a couple of films. There's Coco, which is the Disney cartoon about the um, little boy who crosses over, but also in a recent James Bond film oh, where... The opening half, sequence, yeah. Yes, where half of Mexico City seems to collapse um, as he flies around in a helicopter. Hanging that's right, that. yeah. Absolutely stunning, yes, indeed. So that's a Black Gang Chain, Friday and Saturday, 20th and 21st of October. We also have... As always, English Heritage are putting on a fantastic show as they tend to around school holiday times. There's a Halloween half-term experience where there's going to be all sorts of spooky goings-on, it is reported, and storytelling and witches offering potions for people to drink and so on. So I think there's going to be a lot of fun there. And that's on the second week of the island's half-term. I think we mentioned earlier, controversially, the island has a two-week Half term. I mean, who'd have thought such a thing would ever exist? Does that make why... us progressive or kind of retro? What's it? Well, I'm thinking if I was a, a school aged person now, I would want a two week half term. Um, but I think they shave it off the summer holiday or the Christmas holiday. They shave it somewhere else. So they don't actually get a week extra off compared to the mainland kids. It's And it's probably adopted by other local education authorities across the country. But uh, it's certainly through us. Last year, I think, when we first became aware of it, thinking the dates were wrong, half terms this week, how can you put an event on the week after half term? You know, you've organised this all wrong. But in fact, two week half term for the Isle of Wight. So if you're visiting, if you're a mainland podcast listener and you're coming to Isle of Wight, check your dates for different events because they may not be happening. Your half term. I think my takeaway from this segment is that there's going to be pumpkin soup in the Better Days Cafe coming up soon. So this will be pumpkin soup because you will be displaying a carved pumpkin. We, we already have the um, pumpkin purchased at great expense, 99p from Aldi, nice. um, in the garage. And um, Mrs. Dedman has given instructions as to when it needs to be um, scooped out so that she can lend her carving skills to making a suitably friendly but mildly scary and amusing yes. face to go in the window. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, lovely. Which it's will be seen by window. nobody, but it will make us very happy. Yes, because you, you you live in a an area where there's very little or zero passing Footfall, yeah. Yes. Um, we, we're, we're, not, we're on the front of it. We're on a road front, so we have more passing footfall, but it's still very limited because we're a small village. Yes, um, we're a cul-de-sac of two, I think. Yes, in a very small village. Yes. yes. <laughs> so well off the beaten track. But we, we mentioned Isle of Wight Steam Railway earlier, and there's also another event at the Isle of Wight Steam Railway for the first week of half term, which is Monday the 23rd to Friday the 27th. They're doing a wizard week. This I is a bit of a Harry Potter. Actually, I mean, this is worth mentioning. Hmm. A bit of a Harry Potter theme. Would you say that the rise of Harry Potter has kind of mirrored the rise of Halloween? 
to an extent. I I think Harry Potter has probably caught on the coattails of Halloween, but I think the Halloween rise was well underway before... Wizard robes, not coattails. (laughs) Thank you, yes. (laughs) Or um, stray twigs out of the back of broomsticks uh, and so on. Um, I, I... I think how how old is Harry Potter in terms of when the first book was published? It must be twenty years. Oh, I, th- I was going to say he's about eleven. <laughs> I, I knew you were going to do that. I oh, set them up. You knock them down. <laughs> it's just so obvious. How old is um, Harry Potter? <laughs> um, so I I rather think that there were some thirty year anniversary books. Thirty years. So I, I think there were 25-year anniversaries, but I think that I've seen th- – they bring out kind of super-illustrated hardbacks for collectors who think they're going to be worth something. Um, and I rather think they've just had the 30th anniversary. I can remember reading the first book. Unfortunately, I haven't got a first edition of the first book, but I think I've got a first paperback edition. I think you're right, because I've just done a little quick, cheeky, sneaky Google, and the f- the first – issue of the film you know the Hollywood version was 2001 so it's got to be 25 plus years since the first yeah. book was, was published we, so yeah the first one didn't didn't take off immediately and they they produced they did a weird thing that they had a, a kind of a, an adult themed version which had a American steam engine on the cover as well as the more cartoon style which became the house brand as the thing put, put, took off and i often wish that i'd bought one of the kind of the american steam train yeah, versions. wasn't this well, to allow people who wished to read it but didn't want to be seen on the tube or on the train reading a child's storybook so they they gave it a mature cover but it was still the Harry Potter book inside the mature cover. I think that was the marketing reason for it, and, and a successful one, to your point. Uh, that's to, to that's a very off. weird logic about, you know, adult reading material and adjusting the cover to make it acceptable to read it in public. But... Well, wasn't this also the case with a, a certain book I've heard of called Fifty Shades of Grey that had to have covers that implied it wasn't Fifty Shades of Grey that you were reading, it was something else. Obviously, you could wrap it in brown paper or something or do it on a Kindle. But uh... Yeah, I, I think I started the first one but gave up very quickly because it seemed to feel, fall between two stools, um, you know, neither, neither fish nor fowl. And I don't know, it wasn't, it wasn't for me. I think, I think Ella read them. And Are we talking about the Harry Potters or the um No, I, I've, I've read all of the Harry Potters. Yeah. I'm quite proud to say that and i you know read them yeah. in public but but um i gave up on 50 shades of grey no i'm the other way around uh, and i've read all the 50 shades and thought they were quite badly written but the story was engaging it was a kind of soap opera kind of story but with harry potter I, my problem with harry potter is that i watched the movie before i read the book and the movie was so richly presented and produced with sound with lots of imagery, lots of visuals, and an awful lot going on. I find the book to be quite, is the word skinny? Uh, Thin in comparison with the movie. So I was kind of put off a little bit. And I know the book's got progressively thicker as it went through the series. We've probably talked about my theory of J.K. Rowling, that after book three, she became uneditable because... You know, as you say, there is a linear progression in the number. So the first one was a fairly taut, probably 220 pages. 
I would say the next one is very similar, maybe a few more. The third one is maybe 270. The next one is 590. And by the end, I think you're up to the eight or 900 pages. And it was, and it was two, there was two edition, two versions of the final book, I think, wasn't there part one? No, part I think two, the, the, right? the book was one. Okay. But the film was two. The film was two, right. That, that's yeah, my bad. Yeah. yeah. Well, no, I think it was, you know, it was a bit, it was a marketing thing. It was okay, like yeah. the last season of The Sopranos being split into two series, but Retinate. they were just half the length of the previous series, yeah, strangely. Yeah. I suppose the whole kind of the world, the, the wizarding world, as it's now referred to, had to be, um, had to be, uh, uh, all the s- strands had to be drawn together. So there was a lot going on in the first books, perhaps independent storylines, but all the threads had to come together for the ultimate denouement. So it needed a lot of explaining. So yeah, I understand where your point is about being uneditable. George Martin, who wrote, who wrote, um, the Game of Thrones books has the same sort of problem. I mean, those books were always massive. Yeah. And he he now has this contractual problem of trying to bring together the incredibly wide, disparate yeah. number of themes in the books into something that cogently hangs together. His problem, yeah. <laughs> his problem is made even worse is that they've already made, completed the television series of how it ends. And he's not so, written a book? No. Oh. He's he was he's contractually obligated, but he's missed it the deadline, and he's, you know, he's heading towards seventy. He's in poor health. He's finally become rich, having been a jobbing author all his life. So he's living the life, and yeah, the chance of it getting finished is yeah. um. And he, he says he's you know he's working hard, but it, it's it's a marathon task because. Oh God, yeah. Have you read any of the books? No, no, no. So the the books are doorsteps. So that they're you know six, seven, eight hundred pages, and the structure is that they are for each book he takes maybe seven, eight, nine of the principal characters, and each chapter is devoted to the perspective and the story of one character. Got it. And these interweave throughout the book, wow. and then the next book will take a different seven or eight characters, and 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 the whole thing is a vast, elaborate jigsaw. Some of it again. But desperately in need of editing, you know. There's, you know, vast portions where the you know, the the action just dies. And yeah. So there's one plot curve, but the whole plot curve doesn't come together really until you get to the last chapter, and all the threads are kind of woven. Well, back I think in. we call, we call it a story arc. I think arc in the words of graphic novels. Yeah. Um, and they do, but the arc is over like seven or eight books. So you know, you, you always know the drive but they hop backwards and forwards they hop from continent to character and it's probably in some ways it resembles the hobbit and the lord Mm. of the rings in the complexity and the depth and the imagining Mm. but it's um i've never read anything that's structured in the same way Mm. whereas potter is pretty much i mean there's the odd flashback but it's fairly linear in its storytelling Whereas this this hops around all over the place. Yeah, I, I suppose, I'd, go ahead. I'd recommend it. I'd recommend giving go it a go. If you what, the first one, one, once you're about fifty pages into the first one, you, you either it's marmite, you either hooked or you or you um oh, give up. You put it down. Yeah, yeah. Put it on the shelf to show off. <laughs> Even well, it, yeah. I don't know if it's showing off. You probably break the shelf if you put the collecting <laughs> yeah. box set. An, an alternative approach is just to go to the Isle of Wight Steam Railway and immerse yourself in half term wizard frolics um 
whether it's Harry Potter themed or otherwise. Um, I'm sure it'll be a great, a great time for the kids and the family. Have you um, been to the Harry Potter world? No, no, not that much of a fan. Um, but I know I've got very close family members, like daughter-in-law, uh, who is just an obsessed with the Harry Potter world uh, and understands all the characters, all the story arcs, all the plot twists, etc., and almost has it verbatim in conversation. Uh, and she's been, uh, I think, with with our son as well. So I'm told Ellen, it's very we, good. We have a claim, to, a claim to fame with Harry Potter. Ella's niece, who trained in special effects in for the movies, um, worked on the animatronic version of Buckbeak, the flying. Is it a hippogriff or whatever it is? The flying creature in the stories two and three in the films. So when you see Buckbeak fly and um, Harry manfully strides stride and takes off into the air. And heads moving um, and so on. Maria had her hand on the tail feathers. Ah. Wow. Yeah, that is a good claim to fame, isn't it? Yes, I like that. That's something that everyone would relate to. In... If you ever got on that TV show, that's what we could say. Yes, yes. Claim to fame island-related? Apart from having breakfast with the head of the Isle of Wight Ambulance Service on Saturday. <laughs> um, oh, I don't know. Uh, the man stood up by Bob Seeley. <laughs> on multiple occasions. We hope not. <laughs> well, indeed. So what's your claim to fame for your island residency? Oh, well, we're now settled here for three years. We nearly moved here in 2001. I don't know if I've told this story, but we were buying a house in St. Lawrence, which is a village between Ventnor and Knighton. Um, and we ultimately pulled out of this house, purchased in 2001, and parked the whole idea until now. And moved, we've now sort of finished growing, bringing our children up in Aldershot. But the guy we were buying the house from was a actor. He was also the prospective parliamentary candidate for the Isle of Wight party that wanted the Isle of Wight to become independent. And he was also the main vocal advocate for a fixed link and was involved in all the kind of public pronouncements and presentations to in involve sinking a tunnel, you know, building a tunnel on the Solent, floating it, and then sinking it to the bottom of the Solent. All the land had been purchased, all the rights had been purchased to Crown Estate land and so on. So this thing was getting close to being a reality. And um, he was then selling his house. What he also did is he he produced in his house um, kind of self-help tapes, videos, um, and um, oral kind of audio books. That's the word I'm looking for. <clears throat> I'm trying to remember the guy's name. I think it was David Murray. Something like that. So that's a relative claim to fame. We nearly bought his house, but we didn't. That it was is not day. bad. Oh, so, so if we're going for house-related claims to fame, we bought the house from a French couple, and he was the salesman for the company that makes the enamel signs for all of the London Underground and Paris Metro um, signage on the a island. AJ Bell? I believe so. I think AJ Bell are the investment, you know, stocks and oh. shares ISAs. So it's no. a name. It's a name like that. Like that. Yes. 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 Also, yes. That that is a really good claim to fame because um, they're iconic, aren't they? Literally iconic icons. 
they are, yeah. He went back to France because I believe they were opening a new factory near Cannes, and he wanted his family to grow up um, French. So, Diane, if you're if you're listening in Normandy, um, we remember you and we look on your work and praise. Merci. C'est bon. Moving on. So, but we a little word to boilers there because the enamel industry in the Isle of Wight, there's also a successful fireplace maker, who I think called Charnwood. Yes, sure I believe an so. Isle of Wight company. And you you have a, a wood burner. I'm not sure if it's a charred Isle of Wight made. I think it is. I believe not. it is. Um, but that's an enameled product as well to, you know, protect it from all the, the heat excesses and so on. But I believe you had given this drop in temperatures, you've had boiler problems. We, we do. We, we had the boiler serviced by British Gas recently, and um, when Ella tried to fire it up as a test for the cold winter winds sweeping towards us, um, it failed to fire. So we have been using the wood burner this week mm. um, as the evenings have been growing chilly. Mm, and also we frequently have to have the door open so the dog can shuttle backwards and forwards into the mm. garden, which... Drops the temperature by about 10 degrees. Yeah, <laughs> well, I've been wearing T-shirts pretty much all year, all summer. And I was on a, a work um, conference call, video conference call, on I think it was Monday, Tuesday morning. And uh, I was the only person on the call on the T-shirt. Everyone else had got their hoodies on and jumpers. And I think one person had a coat on because they were feeling the temperature cold. But I was I was hailed to be a rugged Scot, manfully holding on to the last vestiges of summer. Not living in a sunny a sunny clime. Uh, I put it down to my uh, latitude, <laughs> being so as far south in the UK as it's almost possible to go. Uh, Actually, could, could, you've got a sweatshirt on this evening. Could you put uh, the hood up for me? Could you put the hood up? Now, Roy is rocking the Obi-Wan Kenobi look. I, I need to get a photograph of this for the um, site because. <laughs> Trust, trust me, it could be, this is for Halloween, actually. That is perfect. This could be for um, not scaring the children, but for dressing up in a amuse, up, yes. amusing, let my, or actually, if you were Grand Emperor Watson, the baddie, that would be even better, but you can't really see his face. You just see his glowing eyes. That's right, yes, yeah. Or my, have, my you, have, you seen the, have you seen the Star Wars films? No, no, no. I mean, <gasps> it's another thing. So you'd be really good in that game where you have to confess to not having done something that everybody else in the zeitgeist has done. So Star Wars being quite a popular, like not ever seeing, seeing a, Louise, I think when she got married to Sam, had not seen most of the Disney films. Right. How is such a thing possible? Yeah, well, that's like almost like child abuse, you could argue, isn't it? Can, can I just clarify that I have seen what I would call Star Wars 1, 2 and 3, which is now, I believe, four, five, and six, in the yes in the timeline because that was that came out in 1977 and went to the cinema to see it, and then Empire Strikes Back and <laughs> didn't watch any more of them. And, and but the modern versions have had absolutely zero interest for me whatsoever. All my kids again were perfect on all these films: Game of Thrones, uh, Harry Potter, um, Star Wars, and even some of the Star Trek remakes. But I stopped with. Leonard Nimoy in the Gene Roddenberry TV uh, series. I never really watched any of the films, which is terrible for somebody involved in communicating popular culture to a podcast audience. I must correct some of that, Tim. 
Tim shared me that image of me with my hood up. Oh, <laughs> <All, all> scary. <laughs> Obi-Wan Kenobi, you look like Alec Guinness. That's a surprise. Could, could I not look like um, uh, you and... You and Ferguson. You and McGregor. You and McGregor. No. Oh. Well, probably probably in your youth. <laughs> or he'll look like me when he's old. That's what, that's what I'll take. That sort of thing. So lots of Halloween fun and games ahead. And if you are planning to get a pumpkin, if you are planning to dress up, if you're planning to go out as a grown-up, if you're planning to be taken out as a as a toddler and collect sweets, have a great time. But be safe. And, wrap up and remember, them. children, don't take sweets from strange people. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Listen to your Uncle Tim. We'll be right back. Okay, so to round off this episode uh, of the podcast, Tim, is there anything else that we've missed that we wanted to cover? I think being interviewless was, was a bit odd because we've had them for the last 10 or 12 episodes. So I apologise for that. The next one should feature, hopefully, Gift to Nature, who are a wonderful volunteer group who look after a lot of the island's beautiful spaces, and their director has agreed to have, have a chat. So hopefully that will be next time. And we both have a list of um, island-based people contributing who we would like to talk to. So apologies for the gap this time round. Also, also next Go time we're going to be doing our collaboration with our friends at Vectis Radio. So the interview content we produce will be putting out and syndicating not just here on Quite Like a Podcast, but it'll be going out on Vectis Radio um, between now and Christmas. Yes, indeed. Now, we've got a few sporting events um, currently running. So Scotland power on into the finals of football? Uh, well, the yes, unfortunately, Scotland are playing very well at the round ball game. I've been playing very well at the odd-shaped ball game, but just not getting the results that they, they needed and certainly coming up against some very, very quality opposition. So I'm taking the positives that we qualified ahead of England on a timeline for Euro 2024 for soccer association football in, in Germany and a really stunning performance from Steve Clark and his guys, which is also qualifying for two successive competitions, which is, again... That takes me back to my youth in the 70s when Scotland were qualifying for every World Cup and England weren't, having had a series of, of winning the World Cup in 66, then attending 70 uh, and so on. But Scotland attended 74, 78, 82. Scotland did really well for a period of time. So I'm really taking positives from that. But rugby for Scotland, not so much. But I believe England, Tim, are doing rather well in terms of their placement. You, you haven't suggested that England somehow seem to manage the um, pooling groups. And so who gets the easier and tougher fixtures, as <laughs> many people in the media have? Um, I, I think it's there, their, I think it's their ninth semi-final appearance. So they're, the clearly, they're clearly masters of this particular art. Yes. That's all they're just good at winning tournament games. Is it, is it about taking part or is it about winning? Interesting. What, in professional sport? In professional sport, yes. Yeah. I rather think it's about winning. Winning, well, indeed, indeed. But of I course, think they qualified as the only unbeaten side in the um, tournament into yeah. the into the quarterfinal stage. Yeah. So Who they have thought? a mountain, uh, both a physical and a metaphorical mountain, to climb in South Africa. Yeah. Um, recently, that has proved beyond them in the last World Cup final. But of course, you've got to get to the final. Yes, yes. Um, I and suspect. So it's no 
it's no it's no criticism to get to a final or even to get to a semi-final of a competition. Of yeah, the best it's easy to become blasé when you keep doing it, though. Yeah. Um, I, I, I think they've got a real tough one on their hands. Yeah. I'll be surprised if they win. I don't think it's impossible. They have a certain collective spirit. They've also got a little bit of everyone's against us going on. They good. also have some very experienced players and they play with the South Africans in the Premiership to a large yeah. extent. So, yeah. uh, you know, you'd expect South Africa to win eight or nine out of ten. But funny things happen in sport. I, um, I think if we rewind the tapes, I think a few episodes ago, I forecast that England would probably end up I think I forecasted it with a reluctant tone in my voice that England would probably, despite their awful performances, nay, woeful performances, they would end up winning the damn thing. And it's well, Frankly, I've started dreaming about those comments. I wasn't <laughs> going to mention this, but I have. So I can't, I mean, it's hard to see Argentina beating the All Blacks, but stranger things have happened. So you could have a rematch of the England group game where mm. Argentina totally fa failed to turn up. But I think that's highly unlikely. And I would predict, if I had any money on it, that New Zealand and South Africa would be playing off. Whereas a lot of people fancied Ireland and France mm. to get to the final. Whereas yeah. I think we're probably going to see a reversion to the real rugby powerhouses battling it out. And, you know, South Africa have had the upper hand, but New Zealand never, never Never write off New Zealand. Consensus in the swimming pool changing rooms, where many deep and meaningful conversations are heard, are heard, had, and indeed overheard. Usually, whilst one is um, wearing one's birthday suit and uncomfortably engages in deep and meaningful conversations, the view that one of the my fellow swimmers, early morning swimmers, was suggesting is that um, the performances that England have put up haven't been good enough, but they're you could argue they're getting lucky with the pooling and the results and so on. If you take that view, why are the performances not what they should be? The argument goes that we're not playing enough sport in school. And therefore the gene pool of new players, yes, they have experienced players, but that's running out and running thin. Um, and in time, there won't be enough experience in depth, quality in depth to, to be able to meet the glory days of England over the last kind of 10, 20 years. So that traditionally, fair? the statistic is that England has by far the largest pool of players to choose from of any of the nations. They, yeah. I think the, the professional era has has been difficult and many, I mean, three, three clubs, I think, went to the wall last se season. So I, I think there's, some, there's something in that. Mm. On the other hand, they were totally unprepared and written off for the last World Cup and made the final. They've made they, they've tended to make the semi-final, not every year, but most years. I think they've only missed out once or twice. They're in the semi-final again. So they're, they're clearly doing... They also sacked their coach um, a year before the World Cup or just under a year before. So I don't... I'm, I'm not sure. I think these things are cyclical. I do think that the powerhouses of New Zealand and South Africa elevate the game to a mythical yes. religion state, and it, it's just more important to the national psyche. Wales probably get close to that. Yes. Ireland, very popular, very successful at the moment, but they do play an awful lot of sports. Yes. I mean, the great thing about rugby in Ireland is that it's played, the team it represents the North and the South combined. Yes, yes. Um, 
I think, why, I think you're right. Why, yeah. Wales, Wales have that passion. Scotland have got a terrific team at the moment, but um, they did. They had a difficult draw. I mean, yeah, the English thing, of course, with a lot of these teams is to say are uh, flaky under pressure. So particularly the, for the French, um, which which came came to came home to roost. You know, there were three or four key errors against the South Africans that would have won them the game if they got yeah. them right. Yeah. And you know, the England in, in Brian's Moore, Moore's day, the famous hooker, he said we always felt we could beat them because we knew we would rattle them yeah. sooner or later and, and they would start arguing amongst themselves. Yeah, and definitely. Yeah. There was a, there's less of that now, but there's still an element of it, yeah. I think. There's probably a homogenisation, if that's the right word, of because of the professional game and people are moving between countries. And as you say, the... A lot of Southern Hemisphere are playing in the professional leagues in in England and and, and UK, so it's a uh, yeah. There there is a less nationals playing the top level of sport, and whether you blame that on schools or whether you blame that on the professional game organisation, uh, probably a bit of both. So yeah. the good thing though is the rise of teams like Portugal, who were everybody's darling and played some of the most outstanding spirited rugby that you will ever see. So As it, the, game yeah, the, the tournament to is, is, yeah. is good for that, if nothing else. As the good burgers of rugby lay claim to find, founding the sport, um, being played in that way would be good to see. Yeah. I do suspect there will be a lot of home nations uh, rugby followers willing South Africa on to absolutely stuff the English on Saturday night, but we shall see. I don't see. know who that would be, actually. I wasn't thinking necessarily of you. I, there's an awful lot of social media activity about the unfairness of it all, and, you know, frankly, in sport, you you know, knockout competitions, it's who's left standing. Absolutely, absolutely. Anything, Anything else you want to mention? Not, not for me. I think I, I've covered off everything I want to talk about in this uh, episode. I think we've we've kept people for a while, uh, perhaps a while longer than we intended without an interview as well, which just shows that we can talk for our respective countries when we need to. If it was an um, Olympic sport, we'd be there, wouldn't we? We'd be gold medals, gold we medal prospects all the way. All the One way. last thing from me. Yeah. Um, I, I found out the other day that there is a ride film club. Ooh. Um, dormant since COVID, they're just getting it back on its feet. They apparently have a cracking new venue at a local arts centre. This year, they are this term they are showing the films of Ruichi Sakamoto. So, for anyone who's seen The Last Emperor or Merry Christmas, Mr. Lawrence, he was the driving force and I think producer of both films, as well as providing the music and possibly the direction. So, um, Ride Cinema Club film every month. Um, they they send to go seasons with three or four films from a particular person and then some crowd-pleasing box office probably to fill seats and get some cash in. Excellent. So I, I think there's a film in November which I will try and go to and perhaps report back at a future podcast. Please do, please do. And by the time we um, publish episode 19, the next episode of Quite Like a Podcast, we should know who has won the Rugby World Cup. In two weeks' time, am I right? Or is it three weeks? Uh, no, the, the semi-finals are Friday and Saturday this week and then the final the following Saturday. So when we go to yes. the press, as it were, we will know who the, the whether England did it or didn't do it. Yeah, so I, t- I, think, I tell you what, if, if, if England have done it, I will bring you an England shirt that you can proudly wear for the podcast. 
now the, the, look on, the look on Rory's face has made the evening. Well, I will have to think of some equal and opposite um, humiliation for you if they don't. I'm not sure that such a thing exists. <laughs> I mean, A, I have very little shame, and B, I, <laughs> I don't think I, you could drag me that low. <laughs> wonderful, wonderful. Well, let's just, from my point of view, let's hope that doesn't happen. But I wish all my English colleagues and indeed my English wife the very best of luck. As uh, as as they take to the field over the weekend. Now, um, good luck with your interview next week. We get from nature. Looking forward to that one. Yeah, that's a subject close to all our hearts. And there's a lot of natural green space that they curate on our behalf. So I'm really excited to hear how, how that interview turns out. And um, we will be lining up as. Tim said, many, many more in the weeks ahead. And you'll not only be able to hear us on the podcast, um, once we get our rhythm going, you'll be hearing us on Vectus Radio on 104.6 FM and online. So, so it's goodbye next, from me. And goodbye from him until next time. Bye-bye. See you soon and stay safe. That was Quite Like, a podcast presented by Rory Forbes and Tim Devon.